Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everybody, it's Brian. If you haven't noticed, it is absolutely nuts out there in the housing market. If you don't know exactly what you're doing and you don't have someone that you trust by your side to guide you through the process, good luck getting the home you want or getting the best price for the home you're selling. John Hurlbut at Altitude Homes is a guy I've known for years, over a decade, a friend and someone I trust implicitly. If you are in Pierce, South King, or Thurston counties, there is nobody better to help guide you through the real estate process right now. Go on over to altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkablogger. Now, again, that's altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkblogger. Sign up to contact John. He will help you with the process, and all referrals will result in a $1,000 donation from John and the Altitude Homes team to Ben's Fund. Everybody wins. Go in there, get your help, get your dream home, get the most money for your home. AltitudeHomesTeam.com slash HawkBlogger. Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fans. The skyline is etched in my veins. You can never put that out no matter how hard it rains in my city. Everybody and welcome to the 234th episode of Real Hawk Talk. I am Brian Nemhauser. You can find me on Twitter at HawkBlogger. And this is a this is kind of a turbulent moment in what has been a bizarre season for the Seahawks. And I am very happy to have OG Jeff Simmons at Real Jeff Simmons. Uh, to talk it over with, as well as Nathan Ernst at Nathan E11. But before we get started talking about the Seahawks, I feel like there's bigger news that needs to be shared with our audience. Uh, Jeff, can you tell us uh, if there's anything going on in your life uh, that that people should know about? I uh, yeah, um, I I got in, uh, engaged last weekend, and we are out in down in your neck of the woods, not in Seattle, but. In California and she kind of knew it was coming or her, her parents did but yeah it happened uh late late Saturday night and yeah she kind of had an idea it was coming she's pretty excited about it but so what'd you do what walk us through the the proposal how did it go so it's funny the one thing she she hates eating fish for whatever reason sure she's smart good I yeah, like her already. she hates eating fish <laughs> Yeah. So we're in California and I take her to this like Italian restaurant, like a pretty nice restaurant in Little Italy down in San Diego. And 
They bring out her pasta, and it's covered in shrimp. Sorry, what did they bring out? Her pasta, and it was covered oh. in shrimp. So <laughs> I was planning on doing it at this like nice restaurant right after, and she's just like in a miserable mood. So I have to like audible. I'm trying to like find a, like a, a bar to go to and trying to find a game plan. And I just ended up doing it back at our hotel room. And she was kind of drunk and she didn't really see it coming. So she couldn't really process what was happening. And we were on a different time zone and it was pretty late at night. So she couldn't really like call her friends or family or like process what was going on. So she was happy with the audible, but like she was drunk and not realized fully what happened until the next morning. So pretty funny story. Well, Congratulations, dude. Uh, this is this is actually probably the biggest news we're going to cover uh, tonight. And, oh, you know, this is like the most eligible bachelor in Canada is off the market. That's that's uh, that's something that everybody needs to know. And does she know about your Internet connection? Have you has she experienced that before she said yes? Um, well, she moved in and we changed our whole Internet system. So. Knock on wood, we haven't had as many trouble on the shows this year compared to past years. So we changed our provider, and hopefully I didn't just jinx it. <laughs> uh, well, that's awesome news. That's awesome news. Uh, congratulations, and I fully expect to see you wearing a Seahawks-colored uh, suit for your your <laughs> nuptials, whenever those may be. Um, Nathan, how has your week been? It's it's been, I don't know, a couple of days since we we spoke after that uh that game on Sunday. How's life? Good, good. Um, I also got engaged, um, eleven, twelve years ago. I was gonna uh, say, does your wife know about this? No. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't have any. Uh, I got snowed in, um, so that was very exciting. Um, no, I I, I can't I can't one up Jeff here at all, so I, I don't have much to add. Well, that's that's to be expected, and uh, glad that that things are at least uh, still working in the the Ernst household with all the the little ones running around. So, well, uh, it never does. <laughs> uh, Jeff, we did not get a chance to talk to you about this game um, on Sunday, and so I do feel like we should start by giving you a chance to share uh, what your thoughts were. Um, well, during the game, I was texting you and Evan, and I was pretty pissed. I don't know if, Brian, you could tell as much. And over the last three days, my emotional side has kind of calmed down. And I think just in reality, I think just the Seahawks, the bad defense has come back. So that, that part was just really hard to accept. And the team we saw in the first five weeks, which seems like it really came around, Unfortunately, that came back to life, and it's hard to get past that. And the thing that pissed me off the whole game the most was just how bad their pass rush was. I know the run stopping is bad, and that might be a personnel issue, but when you can't get near the quarterback, I found that like just so infuriating to watch. And I was texting Brian and Evan for a while just how bad the pass rush is. And when you play Derek Carr, like that's one thing you have to do. So I found myself just very mad about just that pass rush and the defense basically all game. I'm not as angry as I've been. It's been three days, but realistically, like it's hard to feel the same way I was a couple weeks ago. Um, I was a little higher on how Gino played in the second half, although there's some things he did poorly for sure. 
But yeah, I just found myself very frustrated. I've kind of come back to reality with this team and it's kind of helped me reset expectations. But yeah, Sunday, I, I was pretty mad. I know some of you were just, it's hard to, that four game winning streak was so exciting and it seemed like they were really going to be contending. And I think we have to reset our expectations for what this team is at this point. That's, that's, I think, largely what we talked about, Nathan. But I mean, I'm curious if you guys have had conversations with anybody else, other fans. I've definitely noticed uh, on Twitter, at least, fans kind of grappling with this a little bit this week. Like, uh, do, do we care that much about what happens with this team the rest of the way? uh what should we care about what matters what doesn't and you know with the broncos playing as badly as they are and the knowledge that the seahawks could end up with a pretty exciting draft pick from them and now the seahawks around the middle of the first round as things stand right now there's a little bit more conversation about that as well and so you know as a fan not as you know, an analyst, but as a fan, what do you care about for the Seahawks the rest of the season for this season? I mean, I think it, <clears throat> I think that should still be the same for everyone, right? Like the playoffs and everything that was really cool. Um, but if, if you're getting worked up about that, you know, starting to go away, I mean, you might've lost perspective a little bit. I think, you know, the young players, how they play, you know, this draft class still looks pretty amazing. Um, so that's really still the most important thing. If they make the playoffs this, this year, that's awesome. That's gravy. If Geno Smith turns into you know, a, a, a longish term starter for them, that's awesome. But that's gravy, right? So, um, yeah, I think the thing that's still really important is that, you know, Charles Cross and Abe Lucas and uh, Tariq Woolen and Jordan Brooks and um, Daryl Taylor decides to play football again. Like, that, that's all the really critical stuff, right? Um, yeah. For me, yeah, I just add to that. I think the thing that keeps me interested is Gino. And I think everything he does now is a data point, and it's such a big evaluation for them. And I, I know he's kind of looked a little shaky the last couple of weeks, and that changes a little bit of the outlook. But I just find watching him to be so fascinating every week. And we're starting to see him look a little leakier, especially the first half of the last three games. And last week was the first time we really got to see him try to win the game in overtime, win the game in the two-minute drill. We haven't really seen that all year. So to me, I'm still – I still really, really enjoy watching Gino play. And uh, <laughs> I can't stay serious. But, yeah, I think Gino for me is by far the number one thing I'm following. Because honestly, I've seen most – for the rookies, I've mostly seen enough. Like I've come to my evaluation pretty much that they're all – all the guys we've seen other than Boye Mafe are pretty – Good boy is the one who has a big ceiling needs to show them. But Gino, these next six weeks, I think are really, really important to his evaluation. What is there like tell me paint the picture of what would need to happen for you to not want to re-sign Gino Smith? Is there is there a scenario where either of you would be like, nah, it's time to just let him go? Yeah, I think so. I mean, if he has a few pumpkin games, right? Um, I don't know. I 
I would be surprised if that happens, but I could get spooked off of him pretty easily, I think, if he does have some mediocre or bad games, you know, a stretch of that. Um, especially, you know, the like if he's bad against the Niners, you know, okay, I guess kind of whatever, right? But if he struggles against some of these easier teams, which he hasn't so far, right? I mean, there's there's a lot of conversation this week about like, oh, can can Gino win the game in the fourth quarter like i think if you go back and look he probably has several you know go ahead fourth quarter drives right so i'm not really buying the he can't he can't close a game thing um but yeah i think if he has a stretch you know especially to close out the year where he just doesn't look very good um then i think you have to really start to seriously consider with the opportunity they have with that broncos pick that you go quarterback there yeah i I think that's really the way to look at it and I think with Gino, like the mistakes I saw last week, especially in the first half, they're they're different than what I'd seen, say last year, which and in the preseason in the past, which is why I thought his ceiling was so low. Like in the past, he was such like a low risk player and such a like kind of how Teddy Bridgewater's been in his career, and he checked down it all the time. He doesn't take any chances down the field. This game, he had like a lot of the turnover worthy throws were like way too confident, like hubris throws where he's trying to like gun the ball into these tiny windows in the red zone. And he's like playing hero ball, which is really, he hasn't done. So I thought it was good. He was able to respond to that in the second half. He got a second and 17. He got a second and 23, which a lot of those plays were things that he's done on his own. But yeah, if he just turns into like last year, Gino again, starts looking like a pumpkin. Like, how do you not think about audibly? I heard, I know Evan was talking about Bryce Young, but I don't think that's a realistic option. I don't think that's going to happen. So, so one of the things that I think is uh, a lot of folks are curious about is like, why are we, why are we kind of throwing in the towel here? I think is, is the sentiment I see. Like I actually, I mean, Jeff, you've, you've said this pretty clearly. You still expect this team to make the playoffs, um, not necessarily because of how good they are, but because of a lot of other factors. Talk a little bit more about what you're expecting there. So, yeah, realistically, there's three teams fighting for two seeds left in the NFC, other than whatever's going on in the NFC South. But if you look at Washington and the Giants, well, one, the Seahawks beat the Giants, and they play each other twice. So if you look at just pure scheduling, the Seahawks play this Rams team, which we'll talk about later, but they're basically as injured as a team as I've ever seen in my life at this point in the season. They're, all their best players are injured, and they have Carolina and a couple other winnable games. So the Seahawks just based on – and if you look at the Giants, the Giants still play the Eagles twice, and they play Washington twice. And then they play – the other one plays Dallas, and they there's not a lot of winnable games there. So – even if the Seahawks go three and three and two of those wins are against this Rams team, they probably get in with nine wins. Like it's hard to see one of those teams, two of those teams are probably going to have to get to 10, which based on them playing twice and based on their schedules, it almost seems impossible. So I think Seattle wins the tiebreaker with the Giants. I think they win the tiebreaker with Washington when I was playing with the playoff machine the other day. So more so than the quality of their team, I think it's more of this watered down conference we've talked about all year. And I think, Based on pure situation, I think Seattle will probably make, unless they blow these Rams games or blow the Carolina game, it's hard not to see them make the playoffs. But it's, I don't think it's going to be because of quality. I think it's because of timing. 
So I think that they'll probably still make the playoffs too. Like I agree with everything that just said. I think what has probably changed my attitude towards the team is that they lost to a bad Raiders team. Um, you know, will they make the playoffs? Probably, yes, still. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, but, um, you know, if, if you're losing to teams like the Raiders, it's no guarantee that you uh, aren't going to lose to Carolina or lose to a Rams team, right? Like, so, and just the chances that a team that loses to the, I mean, good teams lose to bad teams. It can happen, right? But I, I think it's just kind of checked me on like, okay, this is still a team that like, if they make the playoffs, it's very likely a one and done type deal. There's no real serious chance of a, a run here or anything. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I, I guess that's where I'm at as well. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know where the Seahawks will be in terms of of wins and losses. I think that. I was really enjoying and on cloud nine that the team was defying logic in almost every way. Geno Smith was like significantly better than we could have expected. The rookies were playing significantly better than could be expected. And then all of a sudden the defense was playing beyond its talent level. And that was really cool. And now I think the reality is kind of set back in and so for me, even making the playoffs, that would be fine. Like I'd be, I, I'm going to root for the Seahawks every single game. Like I always do. I'll be disappointed and I'll probably be annoyed when they lose. Like I always am, but it's different. The tone of this season is, is different for me at this point. And, you know, if they go in they and they trounce the Rams twice and they beat Carolina and they lose the chiefs and they lose the 49ers. Like, do we really have we really learned much? <laughs> like, I mean, have they proven anything different? So, I, I guess these last two weeks were an opportunity to make this season more than than just uh, you know mediocre. But it feels like this team, you know, at best is going to be a mediocre entrant in the playoffs. That's nothing that, that's way better than we any of us expected, which is cool. But you know, for me personally, I predicted an eight nine season it's very possible they could be nine and eight. Like that's not exactly like a banner, <laughs> like massive change. Uh, and before we were talking about two to three games better than what, you know, any of us had predicted. So that that's part of what I, I guess I'm mourning uh, the loss of, to be honest. And also interesting thing with Gino, I, I really feel like, he his level of play has has not been as good for a while and if you look at his numbers they're still really good but i thought his first half against tampa was awful i thought a lot of his first half against um uh oh my gosh uh <laughs> uh this past week Raiders. <laughs> yeah my god um and, and, you know, this was actually the first week that passed to Tyler Lockett for the touchdown was one of the first passes, deep passes we've seen from him, you know, in a few games in terms of him actually stretching the field. And we've just seen an increase in turnover worthy plays. We've seen an increase in sacks. We've seen an increase, like a decrease in 
you know, audibles at the line of scrimmage that results in very easy completions and quick throws. So I'm, I'm really a little concerned about like how much Geno Smith can be the future for this team. Like, and I was to the point where I was convinced there was nobody they were going to get that was going to be better. And so I guess that's another thing I'm kind of adjusting to is for me, he is the biggest question the rest of the season. Like, can, can he be, can he be much better? Um, yeah. I, I don't know what the answer is going to be. I guess, I guess we're going to have to see on that one. Um, the other piece of this that we've talked about a fair amount, but I want to bring back up is, is the Denver stuff. So um, as of now, I think Denver has a 60% chance of being, giving the Seahawks a top five pick. And there's like a 4% chance of the top of overall pick which would be crazy um we were kind of going through their schedule this week as well and who do they play this week you guys remember baltimore right oh yeah so they play baltimore and then they play kansas city right yeah those are going to be losses almost certainly and then they play i want to say the cardinals at home yeah I feel like if if the Cardinals win that game, which I th- I think realist is very realistic. Um, Cardinals played a decent game this last week. They almost beat the Chargers. Um, I'm not sure that the Broncos can really win w- more than one game the rest of the year, and that would be against the Rams uh, on Christmas. Like the rest of their games are against Kansas City and the Chargers. So. I think the ceiling for this Broncos team is to get two more wins. And that would get them to what? Like uh, five and what was it? Five, and five and too many. Five, five and 12. Five and 12. Um, so, yeah, like it feels like four wins is a pretty realistic outcome. And it not totally out of the realm that they could lose the rest of their games. Like where what's your current prediction on that, Jeff? Uh, I have them right now with one win. And I thought they would definitely beat Carolina. Yeah. And there's a point of the schedule where it's like, okay, they have Raiders, Carolina. And I'm like, oh, we're getting excited. We're going to end up like with like 12th pick. And I don't know if you – I know, Brian, you were listening on the radio. I watched that entire game. And as bad as Russ has looked, this was by far the worst he's looked all season. And I don't know if you've seen any like those st- weird stories coming out of Denver today where – the media is trying to defend who came to his birthday party last night. And it's like that movie draft day. And it's just like unraveling at levels. And like I heard Daniel Jeremiah was on a podcast and they're talking about like how to fix Denver next year. And like, he basically threw his hands up and said like, they are completely screwed. And it's just Russell. I keep expecting Russell to snap out of this. And I just can't believe how bad he was last game. And, if this is what he's going to play like the rest of the year and the defense, it seems like that there was that scene on the sideline where the defensive lineman. I remember I texted you guys with the defensive lineman screaming at his face and Russell's just hanging his head down. And if the defense starts to quit with this Russell play, like I think Arizona can win that game. It's hard to pick Arizona any game right now, but with Kyler and Hopkins, there's a lot more going on there. So I think unless this Rams team just throws in the towel, and they have two games against the Chiefs who need to win right now. And the Chargers, we're going to need a win to be in the playoffs. I don't see many wins there. 
Well, that's going to be that's going to be the the sprinkles on top as we go through the rest of the year. But let, let's turn our attention back to the Seahawks. Uh, there are a couple bits of news um, before we get into Patreon questions and talking about this game more detail. One was interesting was the Seahawks made a waiver claim today. Um, Jeff, you want to tell people what what they did there? I'm um, actually yeah. So the Seahawks picked up uh, John Abram, who's a safety. He was a first round pick of the. Raiders, the John Gruden, Mike Mayock year, where all their first round picks failed. Um, he was recently on wave and Green Bay claimed him and Green Bay had to wave him already because of some roster concerns. But I saw Nathan actually a couple of days ago was saying he's a guy Seattle should be looking at based on Ryan Neal being injured, based on if anyone's seen Josh Jones play this year, he doesn't look like an NFL contributor. So he looks like a guy who just doesn't have the athletic skill set right now and abram has is a really good run stuffer he's really bad in coverage but the seahawks biggest weakness the last couple weeks has been stopping the run so if ryan neal potentially banged up and they need someone who can fill in i think i'd rather have someone like him who can stop the run and we've seen what happens when josh jones tries to tackle people it's been pathetic and there was another one on that big jacobs run this week so if they can upgrade that spot and they can get someone who had a first round pedigree why not yeah, I mean, I, Abram has not done much of anything, Nathan, as far as I've seen in the NFL. Uh, he's been a pretty big bust, and I don't know that we should expect him to be much different. Then again, the things that he seems to be talented at are things that, you know, Jamal Adams is talented at as well. Not necessarily he's the same player, but maybe a little bit more around the line of scrimmage, maybe a little bit more of a physical safety maybe he's got some special skills that if you know they build around him maybe he can actually be a positive here and have a little bit more impact than he did other places where he's been asked to play a more classic safety position yeah i mean i don't know he he's one of those interesting guys who has a reputation as a hitter and for good reason on that um but isn't actually very good at tackling um so yeah, I mean, you're right. He He's a bust. I've seen people saying, oh, it's going to get Josh Jones off the field. They're always better than Quandre Dick. No, like <laughs> this this is a guy that's been cut twice in a month, and they are only bringing him in because they need the depth at, with the Neal injury. Um, so don't get your expectations up. But, yeah, I mean, he was a fairly regarded draft prospect. I think people were still surprised when he went as high as he did. So, overdrafted a little bit the first round stuff is maybe a little bit of a i mean it's like talking about james carpenter as a former first round pick or something like that so um but you know who knows maybe maybe pete can work some magic on him and get him to be functional and he can you know make a play right he can hit somebody for its fumble and and who knows uh, the other piece of news uh was the injury report so i don't know if you guys saw this today but there were six players that did not practice today uh bruce Irvin did not practice with a knee injury ryan neal we just talked about elbow and shoulder but the other piece was there were four players who did not practice today due to illness there was damian lewis travis homer phil haynes and al woods so those are all relatively prominent players for the team don't know if this means that there's been a COVID outbreak or a flu outbreak or whatever, but uh, <laughs> is that enough for you guys to feel concerned about if, if all of those guys don't suit up? 
Uh, does that change your, your perspective at all about this matchup this week? Uh, probably not. One, it's still only Wednesday, and a lot of people can get it. might be just a flu or a fever or whatever. And this time of year, basically everyone I know is sick right now. So I don't think it changes much. And if you consider the, who the Rams are missing this week, I don't think like taking Al Woods or out of the game is that much of a disadvantage compared to them who have Donald Cup, Stafford, basically their entire Allen Robinson is out for the season. So I don't know. The Seahawks defense is so bad, like it's hard to imagine them getting worse. But I don't know. It's Wednesday. It's an illness. I think that happens pretty standard December. Uh, Nathan, can you take a look for patron questions? I think it's time for us to take some patron questions, uh, see what we've got from the crew. And while Nathan's pulling those up, if you haven't already given the show a like, please do, uh, go ahead and click subscribe, get, uh, click the bell to get notified for when we go live and then go over to patreon.com slash Hawkblogger and sign up, uh, get access to the Slack channel right away. As we've talked about, Twitter has who knows what future is going to look like. And uh, the Real Hawk Talk Slack channel is an awesome place to talk with hundreds of friendly, fun, smart Seahawks fans. And they talk during the game. They talk between the shows. And they get to ask us questions every week as we are about to answer right now. So what do we got this week, Nathan? Um, oh, we have a... We, we split the question thread. Okay, I, I got it. Um, uh, Brian, Jen Mozzarella wants to know, how do we fix the defense this season? Is there anything that you want <laughs> to see Seattle do that will make like a meaning, maybe not fix, but a meaningful improvement? Uh I feel like the path to improvement, like the realistic path, like more Cody Barton, <laughs> you know, I was going to go there, but, but I honestly, don't, I don't believe there's an option for Cody Barton here. I, I, I told you I'm, I'm a John Radigan fan, but realistically off of ACL, I don't think he's going to come back and be the Seahawks do have a negative EPA per play uh average when cody barton is on the field and a positive one when he is off the field so yeah uh, that's that is called correlation not causation so i, I I'm, I'm not going to attribute that to cody barton but in any if in any event you know like pass rush is a place where the seahawks you know if you talk about how they became the number one rush the number one defense for four weeks and part of it everyone i think focused on the run defense was one of the biggest turnarounds uh they went from being one of the worst to being one of the best run defenses but it was actually they were number one in the NFL in sacks for four weeks, number one and in sack rate. And I do feel like they've got some parts there. Um, and I just I guess I always go back to I'd love to see them get a little bit more aggressive um, because I just don't think if they line up man on man, I don't think that they're going to be able to to hold up. And so. They're already talking about committing more defensive backs to the line of scrimmage to help stop the run game. And that's going to come at the expense of coverage. I would say do the same in the pass game, potentially send more guys, get some more pressure, take some more risks. Uh, but then again, that's a total fan thing to say. I, I, 
if I could pick my perfect defensive coordinator, my favorite defensive influence the Seahawks have ever had was Jim Johnson when he was a linebackers coach here in the late nineties. Uh, and the Seahawks had Sean Springs and Chad Brown and Daryl Smith, and they just created a shit ton of turnovers because they were super aggressive and they blitzed from all over the place. That was fun. I miss those days. Um, Jeff Braxton uh, says that Clint Hurt is usually one of the focal points of criticism for this defense of the defensive coordinator. Um, does Sean decide deserve a larger share of the blame as he's more responsible for the weekly preparation of the defensive game plan? Um, and more generally, um, do you think that either of those coaches could be in jeopardy if this defense doesn't significantly improve by the end of the year? Uh, well, for second question, I think that's definitely an interesting topic. And I heard you guys talk about it the other day. And I saw some comments from Pete where this week, or it was after the game, where there seemed to be some shots at some of the schemes they were running and some of the calls they were making. And that's a little new for him because he's been just praising how good, how much he's liked working with this eye and how much, and the defense had been good up until the Tampa game. So if they can't get this figured around and this run defense remains this bad, I would not be surprised if Pete wants to go back to what he knows, which is four, three fronts and because it's been so easy to run them. It makes it so hard to run the defense. So if they remain this bad the last six games, I would not be surprised if Pete just goes back to what he knows, but decide that decide thing. I don't know. Um, especially when he's more of a defensive back guy. And I think largely their defensive backs have played really well this year. And I think they've really developed that spot compared to where it was in the last couple of years. So I see more of the issues as personnel, but again, the scheme itself is not working. It's so easy to run against them and there's three men fronts and they're just running outside and it's working and they don't have the safeties to tackle right now. Diggs coming off his ACL is not the same player in this first year backs, which happens a lot. So I don't know if I see it, but if the defense remains that bad, I don't think it's unquestioned that it could happen. Before you go on to a different, like this is Evan, Jeff and I were talking about this a little bit and Evan's take is essentially like this is coaching another year, another, the team's bad on defense. And, you know, are these coaches, the defensive coach is going to last. I, I don't, I, I see this so clearly as a talent thing in the front seven. Do you guys feel like if they had some other coach that this front seven would be somehow better? Like, like top half of the league potential if they had better coaching? Top half no, of the league? I, no. No, I agree. I, I think the the defensive linemen, the, the talent there is just not enough. Well, and we, I, we talk about this all the time, and you saw last game, like the Raiders were getting killed defensively, and they won the game. I, we can talk about Josh Jacobs. They won the game because Max Crosby blew up two plays. If Max Crosby doesn't – or Fant doesn't miss that chip block, but – if no Max Crosby doesn't blow up that last play, Travis Homer is running wide open and the Seahawks win the game. And we talk about all these blue chip players and game records and all this stuff. The Seahawks' best two players on their front seven are Al Woods and probably Nuosu. And if you're looking at good defenses around the league, like if your top two front seven players are Al Woods and, New and no disrespect to those guys, those guys are having good years. Those are not close to – Those are rotational guys. That's that... that, And that's what I mean. And – you see the teams that have good defense. Typically, they have those superstar players or the good player. 49ers have Nick Bosa and Fred Warner. 
You guys remember yeah. Tony McDaniels, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, where would he rank on this Seahawks defensive line? Like, um, he'd be right at the top. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's, I, that's my feeling too. And he was like a complete rotational, you know, three tech for the Seahawks. Uh, that was a, a transformative defense. But like, yeah. I, anyway, I just had to bring it up because. It's wild to me. I, I, I definitely think the coaching hasn't been great. I think there's issues there, but the idea that like they're on a short leash and that this needs to be blown up after one season, I, I would need them to be able to actually have some talent in the front seven to feel, to feel like they've blown it. Um, Now the flip side of that is they are not give up 230 yards rushing, give up a what 80 yard rushing touchdown at the end of the game to lose it bad either. Like they should be able to play sound defense, right? Maybe it's only 20th ranked defense, but it shouldn't be whatever we saw last week. And yeah, the run defense has been most last year was Brian. What was it? Top five last year with yeah. a lot of the same defensive line. It's mm-hmm. Al Woods and Puna and Mona. I know Shelby. Shelby Harris is new and he's more of an interior guy, but they shouldn't be this bad. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, Lucas of the German Seahawkers uh, wants to know Jordan Brooks extension talks may start as early as March of next year, uh, depending on whether they pick up the fifth year option. Um, based on his current play uh, and the fact that he's the leading uh nsc linebacker and pro bowl voting what kind of deal brian would you be comfortable giving him and i'll give you a few um comparisons here so fred warner signed just a year or two ago 19 million dollars a year uh, apy um cj mosley signed a few years ago at 17 million um shaq thompson signed a few years ago at 13 and a half and the jaguars linebacker whose name i won't butcher uh, signed, I believe, this year for $15 million. So are you comfortable giving Jordan Brooks something around $15 million a year? Uh, before I answer that, I just want to confirm. So I just double-checked. Yeah, the Seahawks were second and actually tied for first in the NFL in, in rushing yards per attempt allowed last year. Uh, Bring back I- Ken Norton. <laughs> yeah, Lucas also and Bobby Wagner, <laughs> Maybe, yeah. uh, among yeah. other things. Um would I be willing to give him 16 million? Was that the number you said? 15. 15, 15. I think. So, Foya Sade Oluyokun, I'm probably butchering that. The Jaguars linebacker, they signed him, I believe, this year for $15 million APY for four years. Or, sorry, well, three years. Let me acknowledge this because most people on, on these shows never do. I don't feel like I am well versed enough in this scheme and in the film to be able to say exactly how well Jordan Brooks has played relative to what he's expected to do. So I think he has one of the harder positions to evaluate because so much of a linebacker's ability to play well has to do with how well the defensive line in front of them is doing. And there's been a ton of times that we're seeing blockers get to the second and third level without any, (laughs) any resistance. And so I do think he's had to deal with more than you'd hope. Having said that, there are plays I feel like I can evaluate a linebacker on. And there's been plays where he's getting beat to the edge. 
there has been very few plays where I've seen him actually attack a gap and make a educated guess about where things are going and make a play at the line of scrimmage or behind the line of scrimmage. Like if you looked at his percentage of tackles that were tackles for loss, I would bet it's one of the lowest percentages in the league. Like he has so many tackles and I would bet almost none of them are behind the line of scrimmage. And so what I pay for in a premier linebacker is impact plays, interceptions, forced fumbles, tackles behind the line, like that kind of stuff. Otherwise it's hard for me to justify. So like right now, no, I think I would play out Jordan Brooks's contract until the very last minute and hope I had more information that told me that, okay, yes, he is an elite player and he's going to elevate us right now. I think, I think he's closer to Leroy Hill than he is to Bobby Wagner. All right. <clears throat> Let's play a game. Let's guess the number of tackles for loss that Jordan Brooks has this year. Jeff, what do you think? He has, for context, uh, he has 122 total tackles, 82 solo tackles. I feel like it's been low. I'm going to go with six. Brian? I'm going to go with four. You are, you you quadrupled his actual number of tackles for loss. He has had one tackle for loss all year long. Uh, one? One. And two quarterback hits, which isn't really his job, but still. That's uh, that's rough. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> let me see here. Um uh all right we we argue about this one for a little while um gargom wants to know jeff all right uh, picture yourself it's draft night you are john schneider and with seattle's first pick uh both will anderson and jalen carter are available and he wants to tell he wants you to tell him uh why you are not picking jalen carter like you're just not picking him because of Will Anderson, or you just don't want to draft Jalen. Well, Carter? I guess who would you pick, and if it's not Jalen Carter, why? Um, I would take Will Anderson. I just think, and no, no knock on Jalen Carter. Like if they took Jalen Carter, I would be thrilled, and it's probably a more likely scenario given how the top five is looking. But I just think those like top of the line pass rush kind of prospects, they're so hard to find. And I know you can find like a Crosby in the fourth round or like that but like i'm talking this like von miller the guy he gets compared to is von miller and you saw miles garrett won number one uh villain von miller went number two bosa went number two both the other bosa went number three like finding a guy like that who's just like a top top of the line edge rusher are as rare as a lot as a franchise quarterback to find in the, the draft they go in the top five and based on how seattle's talent level is looking there's not going to be a lot of scenarios where they're in the top five and get an edge rush talent like this. So I just think the way, and especially in the Fangio scheme, which has more three down fronts, three down linemen, I mean, and they don't really have that like penetrating defensive tackle, like a guy on the edge who that can win. And like, if you watch the last game and car on third down, like they didn't have an edge guy get near him. And it's just, I think that's such an organizational need right now. Again, I, I Jalen Carter, I think is the more likely pick and, I would be absolutely thrilled with him. I think he's a, a perfect fit for what they do 
I heard Matt Miller on 710 today compare him to Fletcher Cox, which is a player that's been so good for so long. But I think like that Vaughn Miller kind of player is just so, so rare. And really throughout this whole Carroll era, they haven't had a pass rusher with that kind of pedigree. And really, they really haven't had one in Seattle in a long, long time. So to me, that's like the number one organizational need right now. See, I think it's interesting because I've seen the Von Miller comps and some of that, and and I've admittedly watched only a couple games of Anderson really closely, but I don't see that type of an edge rusher. Like, I think he might be very, very good, um, but I don't quite see the just whip your ass around the edge type of a rusher like Von Miller is. Um, They actually play him as one of the down linemen in a three-man front a lot. Um, which is interesting. And, and for a guy his size, like he can bully, he can pressure, he can bull rush. Like it's not that he's not a good pass rusher, but the the Von Miller stuff is pretty interesting to me. So um, <clears throat> I don't really know which one I like more right now. Um, I'll probably get an opinion as I watch more of the, both of these guys. But I think that it's being a little exaggerated just on, from what I've seen, how much better Anderson is than Carter. I still think he's probably the better prospect, but I don't know that it, the way it's being talked about is really accurate. I, I think you're right, Nathan. I think I've been reading more and more. There's a lot of people in the league that have Carter as the number one player on their board. And I know you, Nathan's talked about this. That Georgia team that had, I think, like a ton of guys drafted last year. A lot of people were saying in the league that Carter was the most talented player on that team. And when he's come back healthy, the ability for him to just blow up plays is very unique. And he's just – he's an athlete. He, and the best part about a guy like Carter over Anderson is he helps solve Seattle's two biggest needs right now, which is both the run and the pass game. And someone who can blow up plays like that to me is super, super valuable and almost as rare as the edge rush. So I think any of those guys, I'd be so happy to get a blue chip defensive lineman in this building. You you mentioned the almost as rare. I was going to bring this up. I'm going to bring it back to one of uh, Nathan's favorite topics, running backs. Like, Part of the reason, you know, we've talked about Nathan and I are actually pretty aligned on this one uh, about not being valuing running backs is because you can get value later. Like you, you can plug in a lot of players to do that. If you add up all the dominant edge rushers or even all the very good edge rushers in the league and you add up all the very good interior defensive linemen that can rush the passer as well. I think the list of edge rushers is like at least twice as long and it might be like four times as long. One, do you guys agree with that? And two, if, if yes, then for me, if it's close, unless you've got a really clear indication that the edge player is like just a sure bet, like this guy is going to be transformative. I think you always have to prioritize interior, interior guys. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I don't, I don't, I haven't thought about it enough to really say strongly one way or the other, like which one is there more of. But one of the interesting things I think to think about is like, <clears throat> where would you rank Max Crosby among edge rushers? Would he be top five for you? I think he's got to be in I that mean, in that range. TJ Watt, the Bosa's, Khalil Mack. I mean, Mack's not probably what he was. So, like, I think you can make an argument that Max Crosby isn't even a top five defensive end. He's amazing, right? I mean, he's he's really good. I'd kill for Seattle to have him on, on our team. So, um, I think that there's probably something in this. And then if you flip it around, right, like, all right, like you said, who are the really elite interior rushers? We have Aaron Donald and Chris Jones and 
maybe Fletcher Cox is still in that argument and guys like Gino Atkins are past their prime. So like who are, there's probably other ones that I'm forgetting. Grady Jarrett, like Simmons, like, yeah, Simmons for sure. Uh, Jarrett's a little long in the tooth. So yeah, I mean, I I don't know. Uh, You could probably make an argument either way. I think that's a really compelling case because they, there's not as, yeah, the numbers are clearly there and like, Really, we saw the kind of impact that Aaron Donald's done for these guys for years. And these guys aren't going to be Aaron Donald, but Cortez Kennedy. And we've seen they haven't really had a player like that since. Even like the way Michael Bennett's impact games. Like he gave more trouble to a lot of than, say, what Cliff Averill did. So I think the fact that we're even having this conversation is incredible. Because these are guys that Seahawks have built up such a good core of young players. And if you can add one of these guys in the building – it just changes their ceiling to me so much. Um, all right. Uh, we got two more here. Jason A says, for the sake of argument, if Seattle wanted to unload Jamal Adams and his contract this offseason, um, which he says, you know, Pete and John probably don't have any intent to do. Uh, one, do you think anyone would trade for him? Um, and kind of what would they trade for him? And then how high would Seattle take safety if they did trade him uh jeff what do you think is anyone interested in jamal adams and and i guess do you think that seattle would be looking to trade him um i think at his number coming off three straight injuries ridden seasons and not even playing a full half of the game this year takes to have someone take on him at 18 million or 20 million a year whatever he is next year i don't see a market at all and I don't think you'd get him anything more than like a fifth or sixth round pick. It's mostly just taking that contract off. Uh, Seattle's going to have an interesting decision because you watch them play and they really miss like an impact players in general. And he's one of the few guys on their roster that is an impact defensive player. But Seattle's got, I think, 18 million on Diggs next year and 18 million cap number on Adams. And I think they're going to have to make a decision on one of them. And they're either going to have to redo that Adams contract or I think they might have to move on one of them and draft the safety because the way they play with the two high safeties, $36 million to probably one of the easiest positions to replace in the league. And we've seen what Ryan Neal's done this year. I don't think there's a chance they could trade him. I think if anything, they either cut him and there's a dead cap, I think after he's a July 1st, or they have to redo his deal entirely. How high of a pick would a team have to offer to get Seattle to trade Jamal Adams? If, if somebody came to Seattle and offered them a third round pick for Jamal Adams, Brian, do you think that Seattle would take it? It's a weird question because the cap implications are so problematic that I don't know if they could, like you're talking about accelerating the rest of his, his, his contract into next year, essentially his, uh, his bonus. And it's a big enough number. I just, I don't know if there's, I mean, if they offered a first round pick, they may have to like restructure a bunch of deals. They might have to cut somebody or I don't know. So, so I'd have to look more at the cap situation as far as player player value. Yeah. Third round pick. You'd absolutely take that right now because Jamal Adams hasn't been able to stay healthy more than anything else. Um, I think you've got to realize that they need to, they, if they could do it over again, not over again, the whole thing, but if they could make a choice right now, they would go with two young safeties, I think, instead of the two older injured guys that they've got. 
Seattle trades Jamal Adams before June 1st, according to Over the Cap, if I'm reading this right. It's $19 million in dead money. Right. Or sorry, $28 million in dead money. Yeah, it's a big number. But they could afford that. Like, if somebody came with a first-round pick, hard to think they wouldn't do that, even with the hit to the cap this year, right? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, I, I think the not the, gonna happen the, though. <laughs> no, no one's offering anything for Jamal Adams. So I think I think that's a really good point. I think somebody would have to really blow Seattle away to justify the cap hit and not just writing out to see if Jamal can can recover. Um okay, last one here. KDB um says in his post-game remarks, Pete basically said they prepared for Devontae Adams at the expense of preparing to defend the run. Isn't that a pretty egregious miss? Isn't it the coach's job to prepare for all potential scenarios so as to give the team the best possible chance for success? To me, this is like a cook at a restaurant saying he burned your burger because he was trying to get your salad right. Um, do you, Brian, how how frustrating, I guess, was that comment to you? Especially, I think, I mean, on the one hand, I think there's probably no shame in trying to make sure you keep Devontae Adams under wraps, but th- that was a pretty good Raiders rushing team going into that game. That that wasn't like going against Tampa. I, I, that's what I was thinking about is, I mean, that's back-to-back weeks or back-to-back games, at least, that coaches have not just made an error in judgment schematically and in preparation and game plan, but they gave themselves like they didn't then adjust or have it a way to adjust. And so uh, <laughs> I've got no problems with saying we're going to we're going to take away one player and we're going to make them rely on the other and we're going to focus on that. That's fine. But then, you know, when the guy is is having the success that Jacobs was and it wasn't just in the run game, it was also in the pass game, then adjust like make a change and i think that's two games in a row that the coaches have certainly not set the defense up for success i guess i respect pete for acknowledging that a lot of coaches just end up pointing it back at the players but man i i i think it's pretty damning i i think it's i think it's i think it's an issue and that's what gives people the fuel to say hey it's not just the talent um so yeah i think it's pretty frustrating uh kdb also says ps thanks to all of you for always being here to talk through the stuff uh i would like to say thanks to all our patreon members because y'all always bring pretty great questions we get a lot of conversation out of it so i think that's it for the the slack stuff awesome if you haven't already go to patreon.com slash hawk blogger sign up get access now hey it's even a good present it's holidays are coming around Get over to hawkblogger.com, go to the the uh, the store link, buy a sweatshirt. My favorite sweatshirt came from that store. So I uh, got a good sale going on now. Go over there, grab your grab your favorite merch and uh, surprise something someone with something a little bit off the beaten trail, not your typical Seahawks gear. So uh let's talk about this Rams game and this Rams team. We've we've like reveled in how bad the Broncos have played this year we have not reveled almost at all about how bad the Rams are playing this year. Both of them have a former Seahawk on them. Uh, Russ went to Russ was traded. Russ kind of, kind of pushed his way out a little bit. Bobby was cut and clearly wanted to stay. 
their feelings about those two different players seems about as different as far apart as you could be. Both of them are experiencing just horrible, horrible seasons in their new location. Jeff, I know you spent some time looking at the Rams. I don't know how you've done that, <laughs> but like catch people up that don't know on how many guys are out for the Rams. Yeah, so I have been spending the season enjoying the Rams suffering because I thought last year just like the coverage of that Super Bowl and how Sean McVay was like a genius for like predicting Aaron Donald would make a play, all this stuff. I found that so insufferable. And that staffer being a Hall of Famer, that was a talk after the Super Bowl last year, and they were debating it. And a year later, how stupid that looks. Um, so they've had the season from hell. They Brian mentioned this today, and we've talked about it for years. They've been one of the best teams in terms of injury luck, basically throughout the whole Sean McVay era. Since he's got there, they barely suffered injuries. And when they have, it hasn't been like they last year, like Robert Woods got hurt, but they got Beckham the week before. And they've been one of like the most fortunate team this year that has completely fallen off a cliff. I don't know if they used up or they made a deal with the devil or something to win that Super Bowl, but I've never seen a team go through what they've gone through injury wise, where, Basically, like they're at like their third string player at basically every offensive line position. And then since then, Cooper Cup is basically he's might not play again this season. He hasn't played the last couple of weeks. Matt Stafford's had multiple concussions or neck issues, whatever they're pretending it is. And so that's their two best offensive players. And now um that just keeps continuing. Aaron Donald, who hasn't missed a game for injury in his career, I learned last week. He is has a high ankle sprain and he's already been ruled out for the game. And there's other guys. Ashawn Robinson's one of their best run stuffers. He's out for the game. And I think he's out for the season. And there's talk. I know their number one beat writer is saying they're talking about just shutting a lot of players down and just evaluating young players. And so you consider Allen Robinson also, who was their big free agent signing on offense, he's out for the season. So they're down to like fourth string offensive linemen. They're missing their top two receivers. Their best, their best two defensive linemen, like they're trotting out basically a preseason roster. I don't think I've seen a roster like this this early in the year, and they're and they're not tanking. They don't have a pick. So if you watch their guys play offense the last couple of weeks, it is one of the most atrocious looking teams you've ever seen. Uh, you skipped over that pretty quickly, but I think it's worth saying again, which is they don't own their first round pick because they traded it. <laughs> they traded it for Matt Stafford. So Detroit is going to get the Rams first round pick. And the, I mean, Nathan, if you were a Rams fan and you had the choice back then to go through exactly what they've gone through, which is they won a Super Bowl, even though I think it was a fraudulent Super Bowl, but they won it. They won it against a mediocre team. They're incredibly fortunate that the Chiefs or the Bills didn't make it. Either of those teams would have trounced the Rams. But in any event, they won it. And now they've fallen off a cliff. They're the worst team following a Super Bowl victory in history. And there's every reason to believe that they are going to continue to get worse. Would you do it? Would you take the one ring knowing that you're going to then suffer, you know, for a while afterwards? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. I think. Um, and I think that's a lot more information than they obviously had at the time. Right. Like there, there wasn't necessarily a reason to think that they were going to be this bad after winning it. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, I'll take a Super Bowl win and then a couple crappy years, you know, and then you get back at it. I've got a harder question for you. Can you name two, two Rams receivers that will play in this game? Ben Skoranek. <laughs> and <laughs> pretty good. Tyler Higby. I don't know if Higby's available. Yeah. Uh, you said Tutu Atwell's hurt? <laughs> he hurt himself last week. He went on IR, I think. I think. Uh, I might have misread something, but uh, let me double check. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think Atwell, maybe, maybe he, maybe I was thinking last year. Maybe I got the wrong news. So maybe Tutu Atwell. Yeah, it, it's like Van Jefferson. Oh, yeah, Van oh, Jefferson. Yeah. Yeah. But like guys named like Kyron Williams, Bryson Hopkins. That's a Madden creative player name. Lance McCutcheon, Brandon Powell. Lance McCutcheon. Kyron Williams apparently is actually a running back. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, their starting quarterback. Do you remember, Do you know the name of their starting quarterback? It's, uh, I think I think you just named them Perkins. It's Bryce Perkins, not Wolford. You're looking for Wolford. He is he all right out. So, I mean, <laughs> Jeff's not kidding. I mean, this is this. What's is the dude's r- name? Who's the quarterback? Bryce Perkins. Was that like a? All right. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Go to Google. Like you know when you're watching the preseason and it's the fourth quarter and like you're like like you've never heard of any of these players and you like, you don't know how you're watching like that's what they're trotting out <laughs> December 1st. I don't know if I've ever seen that. Bryce Perkins played does anyone know who uh where Bryce Perkins played college football? I do, but I'll leave myself out of this. <laughs> you have a pretty good shot because it's three different schools. He played at Arizona State, Arizona Western, which I did not know existed, and Virginia, <laughs> which is quite the the juggernaut of college football programs. He is. He was their leading rusher against Kansas City, so he he is a bit of a running quarterback. If you want to give him that, and. If you want to give hope for Rams fans, the Seahawks have given up rushing yards to everybody. They oh, no, he's going to pay some Oh, no. They give them up to quarterbacks. They give them up to running backs. I think if the receivers decided, I mean, uh, they give them up to backup quarterbacks even, like Taysom Hill. So uh, maybe that'll be problematic. But I mean, the Broncos had, oh, sorry, the, uh, <laughs> the Rams had 82 yards of passing offense against the chief 82 it's hard to have under 100 yards passing in the nfl even with a bad quarterback so um this is a this is an awful 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 offense they now don't have aaron donald which is a huge deal they still have jalen ramsey they still have you know bobby wagner they still have Troy Hill and Taylor Rapp and Ernest Jones and some of those guys. They still have Leonard Floyd, who has killed us uh, over the years. I guess 
well, one of the other things I found fascinating when I researched this team, they are number one. This defense for the Rams is number one in the NFL against explo- and limiting explosive passes and explosive rushes. Number one in both. But yet they've given up a bunch of points. They've given up a fair amount of yards. Uh, so they are like one of the worst defenses in completion percentage against. So apparently they're giving up a lot of like underneath passes, I would guess. Um but now without Aaron Donald, that's a pretty pretty massive change. So if you're the Seahawks guys, are you looking for them to go at the pass defense? Are you looking for them to try to get the run game going? Which is, we talk about the run defense for the Seahawks, but the run offense has been as bad. Like, it's hard to be as bad when you're just not gaining yards instead of just giving up hundreds and hundreds. But they haven't done shit on the ground. So... How do you attack this Rams team? What, what's what's your approach? Start with you, Jeff. Uh, well, it's, I don't I don't feel comfortable in us running the ball against anyone right now. Even if you take Donald out, I think it's a combination of things where our offensive line, especially the interior, has not been great in the run game. And I, I think Kenneth Walker has been has missed a lot of reads and made a lot of rookie mistakes. And I don't know if it's being talked about, but I think Kenneth Walker has contributed a lot to a lot of their run issues. And he was dead on arrival a bunch last week as well. But like you talked about, bad Austin Blythe was. The guards didn't look great very well. And this is – so for me, like I'm probably trying to – I don't know if I'm trying to attack Jalen Ramsey and have him on Metcalf or something, but I think kind of the play action linebackers get those tight ends in space and move the chains like that. I think I'm throwing the tight ends, trying to operate the middle of the field and get Kenneth Walker maybe in space on kind of passes. But – I don't think I trust our run game. And if they're not giving up explosive plays to DK and Lockett, I think that tight end matchup. And we, I think that's the best way to attack these guys. I mean, as a fan, Nathan, I think the thing that would be the most entertaining would have to be DK Metcalf burning Jalen Ramsey, right? Oh yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Easily. Um, yeah. And I, I think Seattle should come out and they should plan to lean on the past. I don't think they need to do anything too crazy. I mean, they've, been a successful running team at times so they don't need to just like completely abandon it but they should come out prepared to pass quite a bit and prepared to pass even more if the 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 running game can't get going um so it feels like a game where the tight ends could play a a pretty reasonable role um and I mean, Aaron Donald being out, this is a team that already was struggling. Aaron Donald wasn't even getting that much pass pressure with this team because I think people were like triple teaming him. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I want to see them test the run game and see if they can get that going because I feel like if the Seahawks can run the ball with any success, then they can put up they could put up 40 points in this game. Like, uh, I think it could really unravel for the Rams. Uh but I'm with you. If if there's any resistance, if they're struggling there, then just cut it and go to the pass game and go to the quick game if you need to and just keep moving the chains. Get enough points. How many points would the Rams need to score for it to be a disaster against the Seahawks? Like, what is what is your limit, Nathan, on what is an acceptable amount of points to allow to a team like this? This is a team that scored 10 points last week in Kansas City. They're going to be home against the Seahawks. What's acceptable? Yeah, I mean, I think you're hoping to keep them under 
20 points, right? Um, <clears throat> I think anything over 25 is when you start to talk about, uh, you know, disaster. If they're giving up 30 points to this team, like, I don't know, man. Just at that point, I'm going to be calling for every head on that defensive coaching staff. <laughs> I don't care who the players are. I just got mad with you bringing it up as a possibility. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, the, the Rams mean, yeah. have scored over 20 points twice the entire year. And that's with all the other guys that they've had available at different times. That's back when Cooper Cup was there and and Matt Stafford was playing and Allen Robinson was there and so forth. What's your number? Like to me, over 20, I I'd be real unless it's like a garbage time. This this offense is so bad from just like a personnel standpoint. And like it's one thing to not stop the Raiders or Tampa, who have pretty good skill players and pretty good offensive line talent. These guys are like if you, they're they're the worst offensive line talent in the league, and they have the worst running back group in the league with a third string quarterback and no receivers. Like to allow more than twenty points to that team, or if they're running the ball on you successfully, that's just it'll just suck the life out of any. Like even if they win a game like that and that happens, they'll just suck the life out of any. Well, like how much you can even watch these guys, even if you want them to make the playoffs at all. So I think anything over twenty points would be super discouraging. Honestly, my number's 10. <laughs> like, uh, if you allow that. more than 10 points to this offense, you are an embarrassment. Like, this is this is not an NFL offense. It's just not. And the Seahawks defense has been really bad. But, I mean, if they allow 13, I won't be, like, furious or anything like that. But if they're getting up to 20, come on. I mean, that that is atrocious. Um, so uh, yeah, I think, I think the, the bar for this team is, is a lot lower for me than it is for you guys or higher, depending on how you want to look at it. I, I just, uh, oof, man. I, th there's a lot of potential for me to be furious at this game, even though there's very little at stake from an overall perspective, you know, and, and what I've, at least what I've talked about, like my, re my perspective on the playoffs, I just, I will not be able to handle watching the, the Rams offense do anything against our defense. It will be, uh, it will drive me crazy. So with that in mind, let's talk about predictions. Um, Nathan, I'll start with you. What is the score of this game going to be? Who's going to win? I think this is the same score that I predicted last week, uh, but I'm going to roll it back. 27-19 uh, Seahawks. All right, Jeff. I'm going to go uh, 30 to 13 for the Seahawks. Yeah, I am going to go. I'm going to go 37 to 10 Seahawks. I'm going to. I'm going to go 37, 17. I'm gonna go 37, 17. I feel like I, I, I feel like I will get annoyed enough. Like they'll do something annoying. So that, that's where I'm gonna go on this. Well, one. you have that dilemma again, Brian, this week. What's that? Well, if the Rams win, our, the draft situation looks a lot better. It's true. It's true because Detroit. <laughs> well, that conversation last week, but I know we you? talked about it a little bit on the post game too. Uh, yeah. Did you run the poll again? I did not. I chose not to to 
aggravate people. Apparently, you could ask an innocent question and people judge it whether it's a good enough question to even ask, which I don't believe those things exist. But but uh, no, I mean, whatever. People freaked out about it. So I got be- I got better things to do with my time than deal with that shit. Uh, not a poster. You're not cut out for the not cut out for Twitter. Yeah, you can't. <laughs> That's true. I mean, I don't know how I've lasted this long, but 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 yeah. Uh, anyway, I'm. I guess Jeff, my real answer there is I've looked at the Broncos' schedule and I'm pretty confident. Knock on every piece of wood. Uh, their ceiling for wins is is lower than I thought, and so I'm not as worried about some of these other situations. But we'll see. We will see. All right. With all that in mind, uh, thank you to Jeff Simmons at Real Jeff Simmons, the engaged Jeff Simmons. Congrats on the engagement. Well done. We will uh, be looking forward to hearing all about the wedding plans and and uh, pictures and all that good stuff. We will shove some sort of cake in your face at some point ourselves, just because we want to. And thank you to Nathan Ernst uh, at Nathan E Eleven who. Almost wore a shirt for this show. Uh, you would be able to that... tell. Oh, no, you can't see Chuck there. <laughs> no, it just looks like you're stretching your like? own skin is what it looks like. Uh, but but we appreciate you showing for the show and having the conversations with us. And thank you, everybody tuned in. Uh, go over to patreon.com slash sign up, get access to the Slack channel, talk Seahawks with other folks, commiserate, celebrate, all the good stuff. And then we will be here for the post-game show after whatever happens against the Rams on Sunday. So looking forward to talking more with you then. Let's hope that the Seahawks win. We could all use one of those. Until that point, go Hawks. Have a great rest of your evening.